0: When I was in middle school, I was called into the ministry. Um, Not a lot of friends my age were in that same situation, and so actually growing up, um, there was this kind of gap in my friends. I had lots of friends, but none of them like knew exactly how I was experiencing life, and so battled a lot of like loneliness. Had lots of friends, but nothing really went deep. Uh, Then one day, my uh, the church that I was going to with my mom, they got a new pastor. And this pastor had two daughters that were going to the college that would one day become my alma mater. And so uh, they had this event called the Fellowship of the Called. So the college is putting on this thing for high school age students that feel called into ministry for them to connect with other kids their age with that same life scenario. And so he asked me, the pastor asked me if I wanted to go to this. And I was like, Yes. Like super excited, very pumped. Let's do it. And so we, he and his son and myself, we all load up the car and we drive to South Carolina and we go to Southern Wesleyan. It was a really neat experience. I actually got to stay in the dorms and spend the night in one of the dorm rooms with other students who were in the ministry program and, and learn all about it and what was going on with that. But I saw this opportunity as a chance to like make some friends. And so that was my whole goal. I went into this situation. I was going to meet as many people as I could. Could and bond as many friendships as I could. That was what I wanted to see happen. So I talked a lot. <laughs> I talked to everybody. I talked to anybody that would listen, I would talk to them. And as it turns out, there was this moment that was uh, pretty defining for me because it was eye-opening and caused a lot of self-awareness to happen, but I was hanging out with the, the pastor's son and one of the people that he knew, and I was talking and talking and talking, and then the other kid looked at me, and he was like, he was, I don't think he was trying to be mean, <laughs> but he was like, man, you talk a lot, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I do talk a lot. See what happened was I had learned in my teenage years I was uh, very self-absorbed and very concerned with me and myself and I which I think most of us have been there right okay but I I uh, didn't know it at the time because I had heard comments my whole life George is such a humble young man he is so kind and sweet and gentle he is so humble but what happened was I was very like self-conscious and not very self-confident, and anxious, and I was being compared to siblings and peers who were not. They were very confident, knew what they wanted, very, very self-assured, at least on the outside, and so when compared to them, it came across as humility, but the truth was it was not humble. The only person I ever thought about was me, I wanted people to like me, I wanted them to see me and think, man, he's cool, he's funny, I want to be friends with him. All I ever thought about was me. And I learned that by talking, that I was pretty funny, and I was smart, and I was manipulative, and I could get people to like me. And so when I went in those situations like Fellowship of the Called, that's what I did. I talked, and I talked, and I talked. But what happened was, instead of always making friends and making deep relationships, things were always at the surface level. The problem is it was always about me and never went any deeper. So even though I had lots of friends, was popular, liked my life, people enjoyed being around me, it was never anything beyond surface level. There was no real connection. And so I was ultimately lonely. You talk a lot was an eye-opening experience for me because I realized that all I really cared about was me. And uh, there was a study done. It started in 1938. All right, it's now the longest running study ever conducted on uh, adult development. Still going on. 85 years they have been doing this study. It's the longest study ever been done. And then what they have found is that the number one thing for happiness in life, what do you think it is? Number one thing for happiness in life? Relationships. They've been studying adults for 85 years, and what they have discovered is that relationships are the number one thing for happiness in life. Philippians 2, verses 3, for 4, 3 and 4 say this, Do nothing out of selfish ambi- ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others people are longing for deep connection and the bible over and over and over again confirms that this study that was done has been going on confirms what it says that we are to live in unity and relationship with one another. We've been talking about this Fresh Air series about how the gospel renews and revives us. And one of the ways that it does that is by teaching us that we are no longer about ourselves, but we are concerned about others. And when we put others' interest above ours, we enter into deep relationships. We have to be willing to surrender our life and follow Christ. And when we follow him, that's not the end goal. That is the beginning of the story. And at that point, we enter into the kingdom of God. You, you become a part of the body of Christ. Following Jesus isn't a private faith. We are called to be a part of the priesthood of believers. We are called to be in community, in relationship with Jesus and his followers. We are called to be the church. The reason this Harvard study has gleaned these results is because it was designed that way. That's the way that our creator designed us, to be in a God-centered community. But the truth is, this was a secular study, and it looked at people from all walks of life. But the church isn't all that different. When we look around, we see that even inside of what's supposed to be a holy community full of abundant life, we still see people, we still know that we long for deep relationships. I started reading a book recently by Heather Holloman, where she dives into what it takes to build uh, deep relationships, even in our current culture of incivility and self-centeredness. And one of the things that she does is she looks at this passage in Philippians and she looks at the fact that we are supposed to be interested in others above ourselves. And for that to happen, we have to have a change in four different mindsets. And what I want to do for the rest of this message is look at those four mindsets and see how they can transform the way we live our life so that we can become Philippians 2 Christians, more concerned about others, putting others' interest above ourselves, and when we do that, it allows us to enter into deeper relationships. The, the, the four mindsets are this. We have to be curious, we have to believe the best, we have to express concern, and we have to share our life. To be curious, that comes straight from this passage that we've been talking about in Philippians 2. It says that everyone should not look to their own interest, but to the interest of others. And in Philippians, this book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. It's around 62 AD, and he's writing to them, and he's writing to answer three questions that the church in Philippi is facing. How do we live as good citizens of God's kingdom? What does spiritual progress look like? And what is Christian progress? maturity. And in the second chapter of this letter, this is what he writes. It's putting others before ourselves. The way to put someone's interest above ourselves is to be is to know their interest. How can you know what they want? How can you know what they enjoy in life? How can you know what they need if we refuse to be concerned with them over ourselves? In 1936, this is an old book. Dale Carnegie wrote a book that was a bestseller and sold over 2 million copies. It was called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was a part of my required reading in college. But in that book, he says this, "'You can make more friends in two months "'than you can in two years "'trying to put other people's interest above you. "'You can make more friends in two months "'than you can in two years.'" I don't know. The, this is what it says. Okay, he's basically saying that if you are concerned with their interest, you're gonna make you're gonna make friends faster than trying to get them to be interested in you. I missed the last half of that quote in my notes. Okay, but he's saying that by, by putting others before ourselves, we dive deeper into relationship rather than going to others and talking a lot and asking and trying to convince them to be interested in us. Todd Kardashian says this, he calls curiosity the secret sauce of relationships. It's all great advice. Being curious is about putting others before us. The number one step in living out a Philippians 2 life is being more concerned with them than, they, than what we want them to be concerned about us. I've talked about AJ before. He's one of my best friends from college. He's, he was, uh, he's completely different than me. Different in demeanor. He's different. He's from the other side of the country, from Northern California. Okay, I'm from Georgia. Okay, there's a big difference there. He had a, a extremely different views on some pretty significant issues with and God and, and how all that folds. We were very different from one another. We could not be more opposite, but we became best friends through conversation we looked at each other and we said, you know, what is trying to find out about each other, trying to learn about each other. We're in this group of friends and uh, we have some uh, similar friends that we're in a friend group, but we don't know each other that well. And then we find out that we both really dislike our roommate, right? And I've told this story during our relationship series. We find out we both have really weird roommates. We had nothing in common, but because we were curious about each other, we realized that we actually did have one thing in common, a bad roommate, And that was the beginning of a great friendship. He now lives a state away, and, and there's just been this incredible bond that we still, you know, when you move on, you graduate high school or college, you lose a lot of those friendships. The ones that are real make it. And that's one of those real relationships, and it started by being curious about each other's lives. But here's the problem. We often filter our curiosity. We look at people and we think about our life through secondary preferences. We think about, we look at people and we say, we couldn't really be friends with them because they're not like me. When we begin to be curious, but then we find out that they have a really differing opinion, maybe politically, or they come from a different lifestyle, a socioeconomic background, we think, man, that relationship's not going to work. So we move on or we stop the conversation. But the gospel does not leave room for filtered curiosity. This passage in Philippians, it calls for unity despite our differences. Our life in Christ means that we have more in common with other people than the things of this world. When we filter our curiosity through anything other than Jesus, we are in Sin. We are called to be a community despite our socioeconomic differences, despite our age differences, despite our differences in political party affiliation, despite where we land on this debate or that debate. We are called to be in unity. And the only way that works is if we are asking questions and being curious about one another. Unity takes work, and if we stop pursuing curiosity because we don't mesh well, then we have fallen short of gospel community. But that's not the end. Just being curious about someone doesn't take relationships deeper. Because what happens is when we're curious about someone, inevitably we will find something we disagree on. And so the next thing we have to realize is we have to have a shift in mindset and believing the best about someone. Without believing the best in one another, our attempts at curiosity won't make much difference. We will inevitably run into things we disagree with. First Peter five five says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Romans twelve ten says, outdo one another in showing honor. In her book, Heather says this believing the best in simple terms means you position yourself to respect, admire, like, and enjoy the person whom you are in conversation with. This term honor, it's like being the, sitting next to uh, maybe a celebrity or a president or somebody famous, somebody that you honor. I, I witnessed this happen recently. There's a, a famous basketball player, a Hall of Fame basketball player who lives in Conyers. Every now and then he comes into the bank, right? And um, I don't want to name drop me, played for the Hawks. You know, okay, well, Dominique Wilkins. <clears throat> but, and so he comes in, right? He comes into the bank all the time. So but you can't fanboy because they're working there. You just have to like do his transaction. But he comes in and every time he walks in, he's waiting in line, and inevitably somebody recognizes him. Right. And so they're standing in line next to him and they're like, are you, are you Dominique Wilkins? And he always is like super kind, shakes their hand, you know, talk to him and stuff like that. But there's always the reaction of the person who recognizes him is like in awe and wonder, and you know, they're like super nice to him. Maybe they even let him get in front of him in line. Okay, that's never happened. But there's this sense of like, there's this real honor because this famous person that they recognize is standing in line next to them. And so what, what the, the scripture is saying, if we're going to outdo one another in honor, if we're going to clothe ourselves in humility, that means when we approach conversations and we approach living as a Philippians 2 believer, we approach putting others' interest above ourselves, that we see everyone we come in contact with with that same honor. And if we approach them with that honor, it means we're believing the best about what's going on in their life. We may disagree with what they have to say. We may disagree with their viewpoint. But when we give them honor, we are willing to believe the best about them. And we are willing to ask questions to find out the story behind what they believe. Every person has a story. We live in a culture where when someone disagrees with us, we put up a wall or we cancel them or we say you know what they can't be around us because it, it hurts my feelings it, we live in a very a time of, of absolutely no conversation but every decision that there's every belief that they have is become comes from a story comes from something that they've experienced in their life and when we don't believe the best about them we refuse to find out that story and we refuse to be challenged Being a part of a gospel community is being challenged in where we are. You can't be discipled in an area where you have already been discipled. You can only grow in places that you haven't grown yet. We have to be willing to be in conversation and hear the other side. The best way I can illustrate this was actually when I was working on this message. I was sitting down at the dinner table and I was uh, writing out, Different thoughts and things like that, and I'm working on it. I'm get, trying to get to a stopping point. It's time to eat dinner. And in our house, most of the time, I'm the one, don't look at me like that, I'm the one that cooks dinner, right? And so it's time to eat dinner, <laughs> but I haven't started it yet because I'm trying to get to a stopping point on the message and I'm trying to write some stuff out. And it's definitely, I mean, I'm hungry, the kids are hungry, Lauren's hungry, and I'm trying to finish this up. And then Lauren walks into the kitchen and she's like, hey, I'm hungry. And I'm like, I know she's not about to tell me that she needs me to fix dinner. Because I'm like, I'm almost, and I like snap. I get mad. I'm like, listen, I'm trying to work on this. I, I can't fix dinner right now. Like, I, I, and I, before I can even finish my sentence, all right, before I can even finish my thought, my frustration, because I wasn't believing the best about what she had to say, I knew what she was thinking. She's like, is it okay if I fix dinner while you're working at the table? She was coming into the kitchen to serve me, but I did not receive that because I had already believed the worst about what she was going to say. So many of us miss out on the blessing of deep relationships because we refuse to believe the best about those who have differing opinions than us. My last point in this section is this is also a way to extend God's grace. When we believe the best about someone, we are extending the grace of God to them. The grace of God is unmerited favor, right? He loves us despite what we do. Over and over again, you know we have fallen short. Our actions have caused us to break the heart of our Heavenly Father, yet His love does not change for us. And when we look at people, even though we may disagree with them, but we look at them and believe the best about them, we are taking that same grace that God has shown us and we are showing it to them. But what happens is when we are curious and we believe the best, we still haven't had that opportunity to go in and get deep in the relationships. That begins to happen in the third mindset, when we express concern. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Galatians 6, 2 says, To carry each other's burdens. If you've learned to be curious and believe the best about someone, you may notice that the relationship is still lacking something. It's lacking a warmth and meaning that only comes in investment. Expressing concern is actually caring about what you learned about the other person. It's being invested in the outcome of what they began to share with you. You're listening in order to encourage, support, and inspire them. This is, this is the follow up for the conversations that you have. It's the follow-up of the investment that you've made. It's remembering what's going on in your neighbor's life and texting them to see how things went with the project. It's hearing about the, the overwhelming things that's going on in them, and it's offering to set a date so that you can help them with those things. It's listening to an obstacle that they're facing and being willing to be inconvenienced to help them. This is weeping when they've lost a job as if it was your future that depended on it. And it's rejoicing with their successful work pitch, as if it was your, view, as if it was your job. We, I had the opportunity to do this recently with AJ. I've talked about him, right? And he, uh, when we found out they just had a, a daughter in February, but when we first found out they were pregnant, I had this moment happened naturally for me, because that relationship, when you're in college and in grade school, those those relationships are kind of forced to happen because of the situation, right? It's easy to make relationships at that point in life, but this one has, has lasted the test of time, and when he told me that they were pregnant... It was like an audible scream, right? It was just absolute joy. I rejoiced with them as if it was us that were pregnant again, okay? Because there's this moment when you are truly concerned with someone else's life and they go through, whether it's a tragedy or a triumph, we celebrate and rejoice with them and we weep with them. If We're gonna build relationships. It's not just about being curious and believing the best, but it's being concerned and invested in their life. It's being willing to be inconvenient so that you can partner with them in their struggles and in their victories. uh, Then the last point is this, to share your life. The the truth is it takes all four of these mindsets. If you stop with the first three, you get an interview, (laughs) right? It's all about the other person, but we have to be willing to share our life. We have to be willing to be vulnerable in return. All of this is nothing if we aren't willing to show favor, if we aren't willing to share our own life. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. you all know it. You've heard it a hundred times. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Or in James five, sixteen, where James commands the followers of Christ to confess their sins to one another that they may be, healed. Without this shift in our mindset, the first three just become an interview. There's no relationship is built if we aren't willing to be vulnerable. If we aren't willing to open up about our struggles and be honest about the things we are going through and allow them to participate in our life, we won't actually be putting their interest above ours. We turn them into a project. We are committed to love our neighbor not turn them into a project. And the fastest way to let someone know that you are just there to catch them for Christ or to add them to your attendance at church is to never allow them to be curious about you. You are not their therapist. I, this, this, this will hit me close to home because I love to help people, I love to serve people, I love to pastor people. And the temptation is that is to try to fix all their problems, right? But as I'm not someone's therapist, I'm there to participate in life with them. That means I have to be willing to share my struggles and to share what I have been going through. The people that we meet in life are unique People They have their own background, their own story, their own things that have shaped them. And you do too. We have to be willing to share our life because our life is a gift just like theirs is. When we let people in, we build those lifelong bonds that are formed, that we all long for, that lead to the fulfillment in life. What are we waiting for? Why aren't we willing to share with others and ask them for help? Do we think that they aren't wise enough or strong enough? Do we think they're not kind enough? Do we, are we waiting for them to somehow earn our friendship? I don't think that's the case. So we have to be willing and genuine about sharing our life with them. One of the ways that we can practice this is the same question that we all hear over and over and over again every day, and it's no longer a question. It's just like saying, hey, right? How are you doing? Right? How are you doing? Good but you don't really care how we're doing, all right? They don't really care how you're doing. So the challenge is this. You know that question is coming. When the setting is appropriate, go ahead and think about how you would answer that question. Go ahead and think about how you can be honest with people who really, now I'm not saying when you're at line of the bank and I ask you how you're doing that you vent your life to me, okay? That's not the appropriate time. But if you're at church after the service and somebody says, hey, you know, we talked about this at Life Group. I want to know how that's going, how are you doing? Be vulnerable. Be willing to answer that question. And that, when you give a genuine answer, it lets people know that you are genuinely interested in sharing life with them. And these, this is all really great advice, but you cannot do it on your own. This is a mindset that has to change in us. It does require practice. It's something that since I started reading this book, I've been trying to genuinely think about and practice. But it can't just be us on our own willing ourselves to be better about putting others' interests above ours. Because if you keep reading in that passage in in Philippians, verses five through eight says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider quality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. The only way we can be transformed is by entering our life into the life of Jesus Christ, by adopting the same attitude as him. He led by example. He shares his life with us. He laid it all down on the line. He offers us forgiveness. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of the cross that we are able to live out these mindsets. He leads by example, and we must. it starts and ends with Jesus. This is not a self-help talk on helping you make better friends. It has to be centered on Christ crucified. We must ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. When we look at our hearts and he highlights areas where we've been prideful and unwilling to put others above ourselves, we have to be willing to repent of that sin and ask God to transform us from the inside out because it's how the gospel renews and revives. It's not how we do it ourselves. It's because Jesus laid it all on the line and he died on the cross and he defeated death so that those prideful temptations, that prideful, part of our heart can be renewed and transformed. It is only in and through Jesus that we can build the church through unity despite our differences. He's who allows us to be curious, to express concern, to share our life, and to believe the best about others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would happen. I pray that we would look at the cross. We would look at the price that you paid. We would look at the freedom and redemption that we have in you and that we would be transformed from the inside out, that you would make us holy and through that transformation that we live out this life of putting others' interests above our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray.